I want to talk, obviously, today about fathers. And as many of you know, I've been writing a book about fathering called Legacy, which I'm hoping to publish later this year, which I believe is going to help every single person in their walk with God and in their maturing as members of the kingdom. But equally, you cannot have a father unless you have sons or daughters or both. Fathering is validated by children. The Bible says that wisdom is justified by her children. So wisdom isn't valid unless it's actually got offspring. And fathering isn't valid unless you've got healthy children. So I want to talk about that because a lot of us put all the emphasis on how our life has gone by how our dad did. My dad failed me. My dad wasn't there. My dad was really awesome. My dad abused me. My dad let me down. My dad hurt our family. Yes? And we can put all that emphasis as either a validation or a scapegoat as to how our life's going or gone. Can we talk today? Because I want to talk about fathers, but in order to do that, we've got to talk about ourselves. Hello? You see, and many of you, if not most of you, have heard that, you know, I, I, and I'm not going to get into the, the storyline right now, but I had some horrific stuff to deal with with my own dad. And I use the word dad because there's a difference between a dad and a father. You've got to define that. You've got to define the difference between dad and father. A dad can make you, but a father will establish you. There's a difference. Any, anyone can be a dad. It doesn't take a perfect person to be a father, but it takes an intentional person to be a father. And so I want to talk about this because you know, the Bible says that no mind, no eyes have seen, nor has it entered into the hearts or minds the things God has in store, right? We've heard that scripture, and we've heard it so many times that I think sometimes, like many things in the Bible, it loses its potency in what it actually means. What that's telling us is heaven, the world, the planet, the city, the realm, is like nothing you've ever seen before. From an architectural standpoint, physiological, what's possible, what's not, that world is a whole other dimension, okay? And God lives there. He happens to be the guy in charge. So when, when he set himself up and put Adam and Eve in the garden, he didn't He didn't present himself as a conquering king every day in the cool of the day. He presented himself as a father of relationship. You guys with me? I know you've got masks on, but you're going to have to work extra hard to prove to me that you're still happy. Do you you hear what I'm saying? Because this is what I'm looking when I look at you. 
I'm like, am I doing okay? Have I lost people? <laughs> I'm just messing with you, but you know what I'm saying. Let me know that you're with me, okay? So it just doesn't turn into this quiet. <laughs> so, so the thing that amazes me is when you hear about heaven, the city, you hear about a courtroom and a throne and an eternal king that sits on that throne with creatures that we don't even know how to describe properly. A lot of the descriptions in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, you go to the book of Daniel, you go to Revelation, you go to any of these things where there's descriptions of the eternal realm, and they're using bits of things on earth to try and put it together so you have an idea of what it's like. Elijah didn't ride up in a chariot of fire. That's just the only language they had for it in the day. Are you with me? There aren't scorpions that spit fire. They're probably trying to describe something like a flying vehicle, like a helicopter that spits rockets. Are you following me? So our idea of what heaven looks like at best for most of us is there's this giant throne and everyone is around it in like a very orderly fashion. And we know that there's an amazing city and the city the Bible describes, I think, is like something is either 1.5 or 15 miles high. Something ridiculous. Foundations made out of diamonds, right? Doors made out of solid. So we have this kind of kingdom that is not earthly. Okay, and in it, God is king slash judge slash ruler, loving father, surrounded by a cloud. No man has seen him. So from that place, God creates Adam and Eve. And instead of bringing that overwhelming rulership of power to interact, he walks in with the white robe on and says, hi, I'm your dad. I'm your father. Is someone with me right now? When, when, when Jesus comes to redeem what Adam and Eve badly messed up, we need to have a chat about that with them when we get to heaven, by the way. When you get to heaven and then there's everyone lined up to see Jesus, and then there'll be like Peter and John and Paul and, and Matthew. There'll be a couple of lines for them. They're going to see a very big line after that to see Adam and Eve. It's going to be a forgiveness line. I release you. <laughs> Just kidding, Adam. Great, 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 great. <laughs> but the thing that amazes me is that Jesus didn't show up saying, I am the emissary of the ruler of heaven, and I have come to redeem this realm, kind of like talking like Thor, you know? I've come to redeem this realm from the evil that has behest you. Like, he didn't, he didn't do that. He said, I am your older brother, and our father has sent me. He chose to show family as the structure of interaction. Hello? God, who could have come any way he wanted, commanding king, ruler, conqueror, came as family. So family matters to God. Now, with that being said, one of the most broken things in the modern world is the family. Matter of fact, there are forces that you don't even know about at war to break down the family unit. Why? Why would you try and break down the family unit? Because when you remove a father, you remove identity. 
You remove security. You remove protection. You remove trust. And so there's all these different things that surround who a father is, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute, but I want us to be very, very clear that God ordained marriage before he ever ordained the church. Marriage, a.k.a. husband, wife, father, mother, was the first institution that God anointed on this planet. The first. Hello? Before, well, who's the apostle and who's the prophet? Father, mother. Hello? Son, daughter. That is the foundation, the cellular connectivity of all of our what we call community. And that is the number one reason why the enemy has gone to war with each person in this room to attack the idea of a father. Why would God have us get, give us families and then the devil attack that so strongly if it wasn't important? For two reasons. If the devil can destroy your idea of father, security, home, love, nurture, protection, he can try and slow down, alter, damage the course trajectory of your life. Point number one. Point number two is because when you come to relate to, the, to God, the way he presented himself as father, you would connect and associate the damage of what you'd experienced in the natural. Because if the devil can damage that picture, that associative identity of father, then he can keep a whole bunch of people away by way of pain and uh, uh, almost like, uh, like a remembrance deep in your soul of what's happened. You guys with me? That happened to me. Like Some of you have heard my testimony. I got to this place, I'll never forget, I was living in my, I had this like, uh, it wasn't a studio, it was like a one-bedroom apartment, big living room and the whole deal. And I never forget, I just, I just came to this point where I broke. I was going through this process, getting wrecked by God, just smashed by this presence of Holy Spirit, tongues, just powerful stuff, even encounters, guys, even encounters, okay? Holy Spirit, Jesus, just communing, communing, communing. But I kind of had this thing where I wouldn't talk about it, but I'd always shy away from Father. Always just slowly pulling back. No sudden movements, just backing away. Because Father reminded me of Dad. And Dad had hurt. Okay? I've told this before, so I'm not going to get into the deep detail of it, but I remember the moment that I broke down, big strong dude, came back to Jesus, a bounce in a nightclub, beating the living bejingles out of people before Jesus. Then I meet Jesus, still tough dude, but hurting tough dude, really just broken person. Compensating for interior pain. And I have this moment with God, and I just said, God, because I couldn't call him Father. See, God can be a very impersonal name if you use it wrong. God. 
It's like God saying, hey, fella. Of course I'm a fella. But when you call someone Andrew or son, it's a connective word. So we use the word God to bypass saying father because we don't want to connect subliminally. Are you with me? And so I just had this moment and I broke down, melted. I was, a, I was crying, trying to hold it together to look good in front of God, but a mess. And I just said, God, I can call Jesus my brother. I can call Holy Spirit my comforter, but I can't call you father. And when people say daddy, it makes me cringe and I think they're weird. Because that seems weird to me. And I said, can you help me? Because I know you're good and you don't want to hurt me, but it just is too familiar to pain. And it wasn't that articulate. It was just like, yeah. It was messed up because I was broken. I was hurt. And that was the beginning of a process. You see, you know, when you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. That's just not pertaining to salvation. That's pertaining to anything that you verbalize, vocalize to God and just start to get it out your mouth. Sometimes we proudly keep things inside saying, God knows my heart. It doesn't say, think upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. It says, those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. So there's something about letting the atmosphere know. Are you with me? And so I just, I want to get this out today because a lot of us have put so much stock in our stories, and it's excused us from engaging today. Come on. And we have to get to a place where we actually stop allowing our history and our stories to excuse us from being a good son, good daughter today. Hello? So let's read a couple of stories. When I say stories, I mean scriptures. Okay. In the book of Matthew, chapter 21, Matthew, chapter 21, I'm going to read from verse 28. Matthew 21, verse 28. Jesus is talking. It's called the parable of two sons. And he says, but what do you think? He's not not trying to be completely explanative. He's actually putting it back on the listener. So that's us right now today. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. See, that wouldn't fly today. Hey, son, go do that. That's controlling. Because we've learned language that actually makes a eunuch the father's authority. I don't like being controlled. I don't, you should speak to me better than that. Don't you know who I am? Yeah, you're a son. <laughs> okay. Son, go to work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not go. But afterwards, he regretted it and went. Then verse 30, it says, Then he came to the second son and said, Likewise, and he answered and said, I I go, sir. I'm going to go take care of business. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Now, I want to to draw everyone's attention to this because this is a parable that we know very well. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but I want to draw this to your attention. One of the sons said, I'm not going to go. I've got other things more important to do. And then his conscience, which is actually the framework of his belief system partnered with Holy Spirit, 
got the better of him, and he said, I need to put this right and go do what my dad asked me to do. Right? The other one was more interested in looking good at face value, but actually didn't want to be honest about how he felt. He wanted dad's approval, but he didn't want to prove it with his actions. So we gave token gesture language. Are you with me? And so he was, he's the guy that you can't count on, but that wants you to feel good while he's in front of you. He's the guy that knows how to work the crowd. He's seductive with his tongue and makes people feel real good when he's in their presence, but he actually doesn't really have skin in the game. He actually doesn't have a framework partnered and, and, and submitted to Holy Spirit to work with his value system. He's more interested in living in the humanistic or the, or the, or the carnal realm that wants to keep up appearances. Okay? Now, I want to draw your attention to this. Same father. Same father. Different outcomes. So stop blaming everything on dad. Come on. Stop blaming everything on dad. Okay, let's carry on. Well, that's just one story. Let's carry on. I got backup rounds. <laughs> Come to David. Yeah, now, I've talked about this before. I'm talking about it again. I'm going to drive this home. David, great guy, good story couple of mistakes like every single one of us. Jesse, his dad, didn't believe in him. Okay? Was that his, was that his uh, welfare card? No. Saul saves Saul's life on the battlefield, appeases demons off Saul, actually fights battles for Saul and does really well, and yet Saul tries to kill him for 14 years. Two bad father figures. David turns out amazing, but more than amazing, God himself says, this man is a man after my own heart. Come on. Bad father, phenomenal outcome. He's one of the people you're looking for in heaven. True? I want to, talk to, I want to ask him what he meant when he, read that psalm, when he wrote that psalm. Okay? You know about him because of his intimacy with God not because he used his story to validate his dysfunction. See, we, we, we are conditioned right now in society to talk about privilege or victimization. That is the wrong concept, period. The greatest lives came out of the greatest dysfunction. And the greatest disadvantage. Just look at history. Study history. Jesus was born in a manger to, to poor people. Do you guys understand that a carpenter was not at the top of the pile? They were pretty low on the totem pole. Do you guys understand that? Oh, and your masks aren't helping you right now. See, so David then grows up, and because of his intimacy with God, his per See, when you're close to God, your personality changes, your value system changes, the way you treat people changes. You can still be strong, warrior, lion, but something in you has been touched where there's a sweetness in your soul. Lamb. Are you with me? Then he grows up, and he has quite a few sons. 
But there's two I want to talk about right now. Absalom, who used his father's name, but didn't want to be close enough to his father to be intimate. He wanted association. He actually built up a, an undermining covert rebellion against David and actually drew an army together and died. Hello. But then there's Solomon. Solomon grew up and he became one of the wisest men that's ever lived. And with that, he became incredibly wealthy. True? Same father. Now listen to this. Different mothers. They'd been each nurtured in different value systems. Let this drop in. Same father, different mothers. Different value systems. They were raised under different ideals. Now, New Testament, all that doesn't mean that you're locked into a class, okay? But I just want to get a point across. Because you can now be nurtured under Holy Spirit, or you can be nurtured with your wounds and all your disadvantage stories. See, I can't talk about fathers without talking about offspring. Because without offspring, a father doesn't matter. A father is actually obsolete. Hello? Now, if David, who had actually pretty bad parenting above him, can turn out really good, a man after God's own heart, your story doesn't count anymore. It's not that you can't remember the story. It's just that it's not a tool to excuse you anymore. Because that actually is privilege. Oh, you don't think you can have pride about being poor? You don't think you can have pride about all the terrible things that have happened to you? Oh, I'm dismantling something right now. I am. You see, for some of us, that's been our meal ticket. Well, let me tell you about what happened to me with my father. Well, look, I'm not saying let's not talk about it. We need to talk about it. We need to get some of that bad stuff out. I've had to in my life. I've needed to. Because it was traumatizing to my soul. Okay, and I've had some pretty, my wife will tell you, but I don't want to talk about it publicly, but some of the stuff I've had to walk through with my father is traumatic on a 9 to 10 out of 10 level. Fact, fear? You just don't know because I keep it. I'm healed of it. I don't wear it like a badge. So I had to come to a place where I unplugged from my story and I plugged into a new father. And I literally had prayers crying to God saying, God, I don't ever want to be having children because I don't ever want them to experience what I've experienced. Because when you've been around trauma, there is actually a, now listen to me, there is a demonic familiar spirit in the background saying you're going to repeat it. It's not you. It's not that, it's a fear of that what you walk through, you're going to put someone else through and that's so traumatic you don't want to go there yourself. Come on, I'm talking to somebody today. Because God wants to raise up healthy fathers. Lord knows some women want to marry some healthy men. But also, Lord knows, there's some men in here that want to marry some healthy women that don't have daddy issues. Because they plugged into the father, not a daddy story. 
Come on, I'm, I'm preaching to somebody. I'm preaching to everybody, actually, particularly the single people. You see, and I had to come to this place where I, would, I, I talked to God, and I legitimately, now you might not think that, you know, you might look at me and say, well, he's never afraid of anything. Like my, little, my little boy would tell you that for sure. Daddy's never been afraid of anything in his whole life. My boys would tell you that for sure. But the reality is, is I've had my moments of fear, and that's been one of them. I legitimately remember in my early 20s, I never want to have children because I don't, even want to ha- I don't even know how to deal with what I'm dealing with, let alone try and then take on some other little life. Hello? But I've had an encounter. His name is Almighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Come on. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Come on. And so the thing is, is that, I, and look, I understand the can I just opened was probably the most painful can that anyone deals with in this room. Why is it the most painful subject in your life? Why has the devil put all of his missiles into that area? Why is it that, why is it that this area makes me fold up and freeze and become paralytic in my emotions and my, in my heart? Why, why do I get so much pain and memories and residual Resentment surge. Why? The answer is the enemy has placed his greatest artillery in the area of your greatest hope. And he has tried to destroy your idea of father so you don't connect with him. Now here's the thing. Forgiveness happens. And, and men make mistakes. Now, you have to be wise, and I'm going to use this as a very big caveat disclaimer. You have to be wise because I have a statement that I say because there's so much grace out there that just says just do whatever and forgive everyone and everything's going to be fine. And that's true, but love isn't stupid. Love is not stupid. You don't keep returning to abusers. You put a fence up and you put boundaries and you say, no, you're not going anymore. You're not going to keep repeating this and doing this to me and my family. Okay? There's a lot of scriptures I could quote right now, but if you're hungry, you'll go find them for yourselves. So, so I, look, here's the deal. Let's have a look. How much time have I got? I'm going to try and land on time because I know that people have stuff to do. I've written down here, here's some roles of a father. Okay. Protector. Provider, And I want you to really take note in the areas that I'm reading out right now that ping pain for you or that just have a void where that was not covered for me in my, in my life. Protector, provider, comforter, identity giver. See, see, can I just stop there for a second? Some of us are so busy worrying about what everyone thinks of us and we're tormented wanting to always retreat from the group or the circle or the people around us. We're tormented by thinking about what our peers for us, what our peers think of us, what the people at church think of us. We're tormented with ideas. Do I add up? Do I stack up? And here's why. Jesus said it himself. He said, if you compare yourselves with yourselves, you literally become unwise. Become in a creative sense, like a degenerative sense you transform into an unwise person. Because really what that is, is when we stack up, if I'm going to stack up against Anton and say, well, am I as popular as Anton? And do people like me as much as Anton? And maybe I'm not as pretty as Anton. And 
you know, all these things. Hello? I'm looking at someone else that has different destiny to figure out where I'm sitting. And that is the counterfeit. It is the big mistake of degenerating instead of stopping and saying, Father, what do you think of me? Father, how do I sit in all of this? How am I doing right now? Father, who do you see in me? What do you see in me? And then he speaks, and now I don't need your opinion. I don't need your approval. I'm walking in divine identity. I've got confidence, and I don't need to be insecure anymore because one breath of his whisper just gave me so much security that all of your bricks can't tear me down. Are you with me? You see, and what we do is we come down to this place where we're afraid of intimacy with him and what he could say to hurt us because daddy hurt us, but father won't. And so instead of going to father, we avoid it. We don't ever say, well, I'm just avoiding you, God, don't worry. We just do it on a subliminal level. You see, and I had to go to God and I said, would you show me? I remember going back to that story. I was crying in my room. I said, would you show me what a father is? Because I can talk to Jesus and I can talk to Holy Spirit, but I'm afraid even to say the word. I was, I was in too much pain even to say the word father. That's how twisted, out, out, messed up and out of shape I was. And he came, and I've said this before, like with my little boys, I'm not perfect, but I'm a good daddy. And I love those little boys. And I do anything for those little boys. And I'm trying to raise them right and show them the, the way to grow up and live. And, you know, and as they grow, I want to, you know, uh, uh, walk them into deeper relationships with God and, and just breathe on their identity and breathe on their purpose and help get behind who they are. You see, and I didn't learn that because I had a good example when I was growing up. I learned that because I was intimate with the one who stepped in and became my father. Come on. And if we want to actually get healthy, we have to stop using our stories to excuse ourselves from growing. And look, some of us have ongoing things. I do get that. But when you can plug into the Father, you don't have to be emotionally beaten. You can be an objective observer. Did you just hear what I just said? Instead, and I'm not talking about being emotionally distant, but if, if, it's, if there's so much abuse going on, maybe you do need to back your emotions up. Maybe you do need to distance your heart a little bit. And if that person wants to be healthy, then they can come a little closer, but don't invite them all the way into the, to the, to the barbecue. Maybe they can talk over the fence for a little bit. Do you get what I'm saying? Wilson! <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Have boundaries. You wouldn't invite one of them crazy Antifa people with baseball bats and weapons right into your living room and just say, look, just let me know how you're feeling, and they just start going to work with you on a baseball bat. Like, no, because you have common sense. You're going to keep that out. Don't do that with your emotions. We've got to heal and grow. Okay, so let's keep reading this here, what fathers should be. Someone getting something today? I feel like this is a message that's very painful, and it's very volatile, but it needs to be talked about so that we can get past the things that have held us back. 
So, identity giver, role model. If you haven't had a good role model as a father, or ladies, if you haven't had a good role model as to what a father or a good man is, that doesn't mean you need to keep settling for bad dudes. Well, I just like bad dudes. No, you don't. You don't really like bad dudes. It's just the only thing you know. You actually like being treated well. It's just that you don't know. So here's how you reset that. You have to disconnect from abuse and connect to Father God, not just Daddy God. See, there's a difference. I, I'm into Daddy God, but get, hear what I'm saying right now. Father, I just need you to show me who you are. I don't even know what a good man looks like for the ladies here, okay? Because I get up every morning and <laughs> I'm just messing with you on that one. But some of us just need to go to the Lord and it's not even about I need to know you, God, so I can get a husband. It's got to be bigger than that. Otherwise, you're just using God for a role model. Oh, I just need to filter God, then you can go back to being who you were. I'll be over here living my best life now. Just need you enough to get some tools, God, so I can go and build my downline. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? See, but when you start to connect with him as father, he doesn't just rewire what you value, he rewires who you are. Because when you know who you are, it's because you've started to see who he is. That's why Jesus was so confident, not cocky, not arrogant. He was so confident. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How many of us can say that? That's a big statement. Because Jesus said, everything you've seen me do, you can do. So that includes that statement. That's a scary statement. I mean, I, I'm not ready to make that statement yet. How about you? I want to, but how about we get along that road where it's like, you know what? I just see Jesus in you. I see the Father in you and what just happened right there. That's beautiful. Come on. Let's keep reading. <laughs> Legacy giver. The Bible says that a righteous man or a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children's children. Well, it's a different economic era. No, no, the Bible's very clear about it. It says a godly man leaves an inheritance to his children's children's children. Now, that can be monetary. Yes, agree, but it also can be value systems. It can be morals. See, for me, I'm going to break the, church, the, the curse of what I grew up under, and my children are going to be catapulted forward in life because they're not going to deal with half the stuff I dealt with. That's a legacy. That's a legacy where I can say, you don't have to climb over all the barbed wire and pull out thorns and spears and arrows out of you like I had to because I've built something with God. I've walked through some healing with God that I'm going to be able to give to you for free. You probably won't understand the value of it right now, but when you're older, it will start to show. Come on, somebody. See, when we can do that, that, that can't come out of a place of me deciding to be a good person. See, you got all these mega, mega rich... Can, can I talk to you for a second? All these mega, mega, mega rich people. 
I'm not even going to drop any names right now because half of them are probably Illuminati, globalist, crazy New World Order people and I don't, don't even want to speak their names out loud. But a lot of them right now, there's this popular trend going around where they leave them a small amount of money. These people are worth hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. Not just hundreds of millions. They're in the, some of these people are in the billions Jeff Bezos just crossed over into the first trillionaire ever. Out of COVID, by the way. But anyways, we'll leave that right there. Okay, so so here's the deal. These people are saying, well, we're not going to leave all of our inheritance. We're just going to drop it off to charities and our kids are going to have to work for it. Because the world doesn't know what to do with mass accumulated wealth. But the kingdom should. You guys hear what I just said? The kingdom should know what to do with mass inheritance, mass legacy. Because the world clearly doesn't know how to. A father is a teacher. Now here's one that we're going to have to swallow what I'm about to say right now because our generation has become fatherless. A father is a corrector, a disciplinarian. I mean, it's right there in the book. If you don't, it, it, the Bible says that if you don't discipline your children, you hate them. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That, you know, like the Bible says that, you know, hell is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod will drive it out of them. Now, they've changed a lot of translations now where that doesn't reflect because it's not loving. It is loving. I grew up in a group in my church that my age group had, it was a large church, had 30 boys that were born into the church in my age group. This is a fact, and I I grew up and I observed it. Every kid that was disciplined, that, you know, if they crossed the line, there was consequences. I understand this is not politically correct, but biblically it's correct, what I'm about to say. Every single kid that was disciplined actually turned out pretty well-rounded and okay. Every single kid that was not disciplined and the parents just wanted to be friends and let them do whatever they wanted had major, major major life issues. The Bible, you know, you you don't really need to prove the Bible. It proves itself really well. So, I'm going to move on because I I did say I was going to land early. Corrector, advice, yeah. God literally says that if you're without chastening, you're not a son. Oh, I don't want to be corrected. I just want to be part of this. We've had this said to us verbatim. We like the people. We just don't like the way you guys are in the the culture of the community. What does that mean? We don't like being, you know, talked to about areas we need to change. Okay. Like Forrest Gump. We'll catch that one coming around. And in a minute, when everything's falling apart, they'll probably come and see us. Like, can I, can I give you a little inside sh- scoop for a second? It's amazing to me, when the world starts falling apart, the people that have been reaching out to us, that before gave us all kinds of hell. Because orphans don't like to be tied down. Orphans don't like submission. They want to do whatever they want. They want to have a free circus. But when everything starts shaking, we start getting phone calls. Is everything going to be right? What do you guys think? Hey, could you please pray for us? God doesn't want to be your rescue backup system. You're either part of this thing or you're not. 
I'm not a renter dad. Go down to Albertsons and get yourself a rug doctor. Because that's how you've been treating God. Return it in a couple of days when you're done with it. Hello? I'm not talking to anyone in this room, of course. But I'm just making a point. See, and th- that's the thing. Like, if you're truly connected with the Father, that people aren't disposable. God's not disposable. You don't put God on hold. <laughs> Someone getting this? When you sign up for this, it says everlasting Father on purpose, not part-time Father. Not custody dad. Not weekend only dad. It says everlasting Father. You want, you want Prince of Peace? You've got to go through everlasting Father to get there. Oh, that'll preach to somebody. Woo! Shake and bake. Okay, I need to land this thing. I, I promised like four. See, once you promise three, four times, it's time to bring the, the Huey Hog in. You know what I mean? <laughs> Little blowout Huey from Vietnam. <laughs> so a, a father is an advisor. See, once you've gone through the years where God's been able to fashion your soul and you're, you're pliable to him, and you're able to listen to the correction, then you'll also listen to the advice. Who here wanted advice from, from Jesus back in 2013 from Father God, Holy Spirit? Hey, there's this thing going to come out called Bitcoin. It's going to be like 50 cents a piece. Buy like 12,000 of them. That sounds like good advice. I'm like, God, was I in rebellion that year? Was I, was I not listening? That sounds like good advice. See, you want the advice, you've got to go through intimacy. To go through intimacy, you also have to go through the stuff where he's able to fashion you. You want a father? It's not father on your terms, it's father on his. You did not create the identity role or function of father, he did. So that means we need to figure out what he wants to call father, and we need to come under that. Conform to the image of Christ, not conform God to what I want it to be. That's the problem that every Christian faces when they come out of Egypt. They're busy trying to build a golden cow of what Je- golden calf of what Jesus is supposed to look like. But the smart ones are up the mountain saying, whatever it is you want to show me, God, whatever it is I need to look like, whatever it is that needs to die, whatever it is in me that I think is who I am, my personality, my identity, let it die and I want to behold your glory. See, that's what every Christian has to deal with. I've watched so many Christians, they have a moment of encounter and they think they can bring the world on their terms into the church and 5, 6, 12, 10, 20, doesn't matter. See, if you build a house on sand, even if you've made it for 20 years, in a minute it's going to fall. <sighs> Shaky bakey. Advisor. Leader. When we learn that we're actually not our master and commander, that he actually is, when we learn that Jesus is actually the one that is the author of our lives and we don't just get to pick a path of how it's going to be, and oh, it was just so prophetically romantic. I just made up my own way and God kind of blessed it. And I knew sometimes God wasn't for it, but I just twisted his arm anyways. (laughs) We kind of got that relationship. He is master and commander. You are not your own. You're bought with a price. He is Father. See, I'm just so amazed that God came to us as Father and not conquering warlord. Because you understand He could, right? You understand that the great and terrible day is not Jesus the soaking king. You, you guys get that, right? 
We're all on the same page here, please. Otherwise, I've preached in vain for all these years. Jesus isn't coming back sleeping on the back of a horse, just soaking in the presence of the Father. He is coming back a warlord. You understand that? You understand in the book of Ephesians when it says, put on the full armor of God, that means that God's wearing armor too. He ain't your little, he ain't your little Sesame Street, little knick-knack, little puppet. He is a warrior king. And yet out of that abundance of conquering all, taking no prisoners from hell, but making them all burn, out of that place, he presents as a father. That, does, that, does that just blow you away? Because it blows me away. Because a lot more people would bow the knee if they saw that side of God. But to God, it wouldn't be authentic. He wants people that were going to respond out of the softness of their heart. He don't want people that have to bow. He wants people that want to bow. Dude, I, 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 I need to land, but this Huey just got refueled. Did a full apocalypse now blow out? <laughs> I don't know why I said apocalypse now, but whatever. It's the times and the seasons. Last point. The Father, the one who fights my battles that I cannot. Come on. See, anybody, anybody comes and starts to bully my children. I don't care who they are. And I understand that I'm a very large, formidable human being, but I don't really care who it is. If it's a dog that latches onto one of my boys, that jaw's going to get ripped off. I'm going to throw that dog over a wall. We will dispose of the evidence. I got all kinds of picks and shovels. We will make it happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? I will fight the battles that my boys cannot. See, and if you really are connected, see, that's why it says, you know, that we should not forget all the benefits of the Lord. Most, but the devil has because of the wounds that have been inflicted growing up about the dad, absentee father, the name father, like my story. The devil has everyone so focused on what if God disciplines me? What if God corrects me? What if God uses the pastor or the pastor hurts me because they're a father too and I don't like that? And he has us so focused on that that we forget all his benefits of advising us and bringing wisdom and covering us and healing our wounds with balm and fighting our battles for us. I'm preaching to somebody today. I don't want you just to be excited because I'm excited. I want you to get something, let something drop in your spirit where you just go, that glass wall is just going to break right now. I'm going to walk into the arms of the Father. I've been hiding for years. I've been afraid for years, but I need to connect with God. And I don't just need to connect with the word God. I need to connect with Father God, my daddy, because I've been broken, lonely. I've been insecure about who I am my whole life, and it's, it's time for that to be done. Come on, somebody. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Good fathers make good sons. I'm going to close with a statement I heard a long time ago. Do you know that, actually, do you know that 25% of Americans grow up in a fatherless home? Even more in the black community, it's, it's nearly 70-something. I think it's 73% in inner-city black families right now. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. Can you see the fingerprints of the devil all over this nation? He's attacked the family, and now the society's falling down years later. We, the church, need to change that. Now, how can we expect the world to get healed if we're still broken inside the church? It's time to us to come to the Father. His arms are open wide. He's not going to send anyone away that calls on his name. Come on. There's a statement that I heard a long time ago. It doesn't matter what 
what background a boy or a kid's come from, if you, if you put a good man in front of that boy, that boy's chances of doing well in life just skyrocketed. It's almost impossible for that boy not to make it if he has a good role model. And if we understand that in the natural, how much more in the spirit? Come on. Happy Father's Day. It's time for us to stop putting makeup on top of our wounds, putting bandages and body armor over our, over our, uh, our cuts and our, our bruises and start running into the arms of the Father and saying, I'm coming into a season of healing. And I don't know how to do it and I'm out of control and it's okay. Please help. Please help because I'm done being insecure. I'm done trying to prove myself to people. I'm done trying to measure up. I'm done being afraid of leadership. I'm done being afraid of all these reasons because the devil has programmed me to run from authority and I've got to run towards it. Something in me is broken and I know it, but it feels like pain, but I know it's a setup. Father, would you show me what a father looks like? I'm even afraid to say the word father. Please help me. I feel like I'm about to fall apart just saying the word. In Jesus' name, happy Father's Day. Now, I promised you like 20 times I was going to land, so I have to land. Okay? Let's, let, let's pray. Father, God, Daddy, some of us are terrified. We are terrified. And we haven't even admitted to ourselves we are terrified. And today on Father's Day, God, we're coming to you asking for help. We're coming to you, God, saying that something somewhere along the line, the enemy tried to get in and sabotage our idea of Father. Sabotage our idea of, of healthy parental leadership, God. Even, even sabotage our idea of a man. And so right now, God, we just we feel broken. If this is anyone in this room, I just pray that you're praying along with me right now. Somewhere, God, that we just felt so broken. And we're calling out to heaven right now that you would come. We're terrified. Some of us in this room are terrified or watching us online are terrified right now to even say these words. But we are asking you to come and heal us and that there would be a disconnection of past abuses and past abandonments and past pain, and there would, that you would connect us to, to your heart and that you would show us who you are as a father because there's people watching this right now that are afraid of you as a judge. And God, you came to present yourself as family. So our prayer today is that you would heal hearts, that you would bind up wounds, that you would cause the broken idea of failed fathership to be driven out of our lives, God, that we would learn to trust in a heavenly sense. In Jesus' name. God, I pray for restoration. I pray that there would be an acceleration of mending, of wounds being bound up, of bruises being healed, and that souls would be rebuilt, God, that we would be healthy again. In Jesus' name. That you would show us who you are, and in doing so, you'd show us who we are. We love you, Father, and we thank you for today. We say happy Father's, to you, Father's Day to you, Father. We say happy Father's Day to you, God, and we ask that you would give us such an affection for who you are and it would completely change, not just our relationship, but our outlook on life. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you, God. Amen. Be blessed.